Welcome to the International Civil Society Center's Futures and Innovation Podcast. I'm Miriam Niehaus, the Head of Collaboration and Partnerships here at the Center. Today, I'm joined by my colleague Vicky Tang, who just released our new sector guide on strategic decision-making in a worldly world. This is the outcome of our 18-month learning journey on complex and uncertain futures. It includes insights from 14 international civil society organizations and global movements. So hi, Vicky. Hi, Miriam. Really great to hear you. You and I almost speak every day, I think, because we essentially job share the program leadership at the center. But we've never had this set up, so I never really got the chance to interview you on your exciting work. It's really nice to have this opportunity to kind of take a step back and really think more and have a chance more to talk about our content and some of the interesting work we've been doing. And it's also quite nice for me to be sitting on this side of the mic for once. I've often been the one asking the questions, so I'll have to see if I can do as well with my answers today. I'm sure you will. We're talking about the new sector guide, and we can't talk about that without understanding what the Scanning the Horizon community is. So could you briefly explain to our listeners what that is and what you aim to do with that community? Yeah, so Scanning the Horizon is a unique cross-sector community which comes together for collaborative civil society horizon scanning to really strengthen strategic thinking and explore the future readiness of our organizations and our sector on some of the major drivers influencing sustainable development today. We've been doing this work since 2016, and we currently have more than 35 members in our community, a mixture from international civil society organizations, philanthropy, academia, and the private sector. So alongside regular community convening events and peer exchange, we also aim to share common experiences from this group as wider insights and recommendations for the broader civil society sector through the sector guides that we're talking about today. Our first one a couple of years ago was on the influence of global China, and now this one most recently on strategic decision-making in complex and uncertain times. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Exactly. That new sector guide, how did it actually come about and why is it focusing on this theme? So with the work on Global China back in 2019, we took one big underexplored trend for the civil society sector and aimed for a strategic deep dive of what that might mean for the readiness of civil society organizations. Then at the start of last year, we had already decided that we wanted to look more at what we called the interconnectedness of some of these big global drivers. So then the COVID-19 pandemic really reaffirmed this systemic, structural and interlinked nature of inequality and also brought this sense of what I find usefully termed as the democratization of shock. And then if you layer on top of that, this further kind of compound complexity, which has also been driving change within and beyond our sector on anti-racism, power and privilege, and these wider systems change conversations. And it has really felt like a unique learning opportunity to see what is emerging out of this moment and what it might tell us for the future complex and uncertain times which we know are coming, particularly in the context of climate change. For at least the first half of last year, we also saw a bit of a scramble with organizations responding to the global emergency and really rapidly rethinking and reworking their operational models. But it also felt like there was generally low bandwidth across many of the organizations we were working with and talking to in the sector to focus on some of the longer term strategic implications of this complexity. Right. So you gave them a chance actually to also reflect on that through the guide. 
Yeah, it really needed enough time to pass for our community members to be able to reflect on some of the decisions which were being made in their organisations at that time and have enough hindsight already on what may or may not have been done differently. And some of the previous investments organisations had made, which put them in a stronger or more resilient position in terms of their strategy and decision making. And then we had to gather all that together and make sense of it all at a higher level to reflect what this meant back to them as a community and hopefully the wider sector in a useful way. So in the end, I spoke to strategy leads from 14 international civil society organisations and global movements from the community. And in the end, I had a hard time picking out some of the more interesting practice to share in the guide. There was a huge amount to choose from. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, exactly. And at the same time, the other part was bringing in this huge kind of flood of management literature blogs, webinars, I mean, you, you know what I mean, it really felt like there was a, this huge kind of inundation of really interesting and relevant looking management resources and literature on complexity, uncertainty, systems change, leadership. And that was just when people were too busy to look at them properly and take it all in, even though it was really, really important and useful. And I remember thinking that I just wish there was someone who could read all this and kind of give me a summary of the most interesting insights and lessons. And then I realised that I could actually play that role for at least this community, and that would hopefully be of interest and use to the wider sectors as well. And I think in the end, I looked at over 200 of the things and, and referenced more than 60. And actually, I feel the timing for the first half of this year was really good because there were some really interesting new things that came out. And I was really glad to have been able to in include them and not miss them by writing anything earlier. So this is really an attempt to bring all of that richness together in one place. It sounds incredible because on the one hand, you have that complexity of topics and, and looking at complexities, and then you have that complexity of sources, right? So really a great summary then for the sector, hopefully, to, to be able to pick that up. But, you know, tell me how you actually see that. What is this guide supposed to achieve and who is it actually directed towards? Who is supposed to use it? Who should it be useful for? Basically, you know, the, despite the title, the guide isn't just about decision making about strategy. It's also about making leadership decisions which are strategic in both this current context, but also future whirly. That's the term that I adopted or th this kind of sense of turbulent, uncertain, novel and ambiguous or never normal times, which we know are coming. And all leaders of civil society organisations are facing this increasingly. And so this is why we feel that this work is far more widely relevant beyond just this particular strategy community. What I do want to say is the guide is it's not aimed to tell organisations exactly how to, let alone what strategic decisions to make during complex uncertain times. This is going to be highly contextual, both for the organisation and the environment. So it'd be completely futile to try and do some kind of handbook or manual exercise on that. So what it is, a kind of collection of ideas, inspiration and organisational experiences we want to share to prompt, support and strengthen strategic thinking and preparedness for future uncertain times. And it's kind of resulted in five summary strategic pointers and there are just four parts to each. So there's the main takeaways and reasoning behind them and some sub points. The next is what we're calling kind of food for thought, which is thought provoking quotes from both the sector strategists and the management sources, which help illustrate these points. I really love those. Those are yeah. so, so inspiring. Exactly. And I mean, that's kind of peppered throughout. And, and I think, you know, just some of those could well be what people pick out, inspire or trigger new thinking. 
Then there's the organizational experiences from the different organizations that we spoke to, which show a range of relevant approaches, ambitions, and achievements. And there's just a lot of interesting practice there to, to pick from. And then finally, there's recent resources to take forward these ideas. And many of those are deliberately entry level and tools for kind of non-expert futurists. And to be honest, even if people only have some, some sketch seconds to scan through those kind of gray colored resources pages, and that's literally all they have time to do, they will already come away from that with a wealth of new things to look at for their work. And I just want to mention the annex quickly, which does flag some areas of special additional emphasis to support strategic thinking in terms of some of the emerging signs of how the global pandemic might be intersecting with the other major longer term global drivers. These kind of came out of our community convening during the year. It's not exhaustive, but I think that should be a kind of useful prompt and kind of thought provocation for audiences and readers as well. Fantastic. So I think there's a lot of entry points for readers into this guide. You can read it from the back to the front or other way around or just pick out those <laughs> different elements. And visually, that also is, is very appealing and helps to navigate a guide on complexity. I know that you're really itching to talk about those strategic pointers that actually make up the, the body of this. But I want to ask you, what is really the headline message or takeaway which for you comes out of this whole piece of work? Yeah, so of all the kind of great quotes and the food for thought which have been found and kind of stood out from, from this work, there's one I kind of have taken as an overall framing, which is this from kind of Peter Drucker, that the greatest danger in times of turbulence is not the turbulence itself, but to act with yesterday's logic. But I think the point which comes up throughout the guide is that our new normals are never normals, especially in a climate crisis world. It's going to be continuously uncertain, turbulent and whirly. And we're always going to have imperfect information for strategic decision making. So despite the past 18 months feeling perhaps particularly turbulent, it's actually what comes next and the types of strategic decisions which leaders make now, which will be critical. What got organizations here won't get them there in future, and we need new investments, new mindsets, and new skills. So going back to this quote, the fatal mistake of today's civil society leaders would be responding to this type of tomorrow problem with yesterday's logic, which really includes efficiency and cost reduction mindsets at the expense of resilience, equity, and innovation. Mm. But it's not about getting strategic decision making in uncertain times right. And I'm kind of doing that in air quotes. What I think the guide indicates is that there are many potential ways in which to get it wrong. You can get it less wrong. And I think to get back <laughs> to these strategic points, these are kind of five ways to go about getting it less wrong, probably. And the final point on the strategic pointers, I think you mentioned this before about finding the entry points. It's not necessarily about engaging with all five at once. From the feedback which we've had, people seem to have found one or the other of the five more meaningful to them. So I think people should really explore and find the one or two which resonates and, and is most interesting to them. Yeah, I think that's another great tip to really look at this guide and pick out what is most relevant to you and you don't need to read the whole thing in order to really gain from it. So thanks also for that other strategic pointer. So let's now really talk about those. I have made you pick out three of the five. Yeah, I'm not happy about that, but I'll <laughs> go with it. So tell me what kind of insights came of those three favorite ones, maybe, and what you liked in particular. 
I'll start at the beginning with point one. So this is termed focusing on the values driven how rather than the uncertain what. This is about what is still largely in your control, however uncertain and unknown things feel. So partly strategic North Stars and seeing how those can provide a shared sense of security for people in the organization to kind of hold on to in uncertain times. And I think this was perhaps a role of strategy, which we felt was assumed with this kind of push for operational replanning as a priority. And we've also seen some interesting changes in longer term equity thinking and shorter term prioritization of well-being shown in the types of decisions being made, but perhaps not as much the other way around. So by that, I mean either elevating equity as a principle in short term crisis decision making or really thinking through longer term, like the sense of well-being in a, in a longer term. I do think there are some open questions about how in perhaps rushing to try and reestablish some sense of operational normality, the kind of opportunities that might have been missed in short term decision making in terms of modelling or even experimenting with new values and more equitable power dynamics in who makes decisions and how they are made. And on this point of longer term well-being, for instance, I personally think that there's a lot of thinking still missing about some of the perhaps mental health aspects, not just of staff but especially in also communities with these kind of recurring shocks, which will only increase with climate change. I mean, one thing which I really found fascinating was this experience of the World YMCA global movement and their experience of how they actually got to a genuinely movement-wide reimagining the movement conversation really early on during the pandemic. At the same time, when I know many other organisations were still largely in response or recovery thinking mode. And I think that's a fascinating example that I would really encourage people to go and look at in particular. Yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, I personally always like when there's examples that make this a little bit more tangible. And I know that you are really keen on talking about pointer three. It's called use this opportunity to innovate, learn, unlearn and set the precedent for the possible. So what stood out to you in this pointer? Yeah, as you know, Miriam, I love to talk about innovation at every opportunity I can get. So, <laughs> so this section has identified five types of emergent opportunities for strategic thinking, including learning about crisis decision-making itself, what outdated things we need to unlearn and deconstruct to allow new norms, habits, culture, et cetera, to break through. And if we're learning anything at all about systems change, which we can actually apply to our work. We actually did a bit of an informal poll of a group of chief executives from across the international civil society organizations that we that we convene at one of our leadership events earlier in the year. And this poll highlighted that the most common or important area around learning was in this area of organizational resilience and agility. Nearly all organizational leaders indicated that this was happening, but they also was a sense that supporting individual staff learning around uncertainty and innovation lagged some way behind. But on this piece of supporting uncertainty skills, I was particularly struck by what I found out about innovators and entrepreneurs being no more risk-taking than average, but much more comfortable making decisions during uncertain times. This is a really empowering insight because it means that innovation and uncertainty skills can be trained and approached practically rather than relating to any kind of inherent inbuilt risk appetite, which would be quite hard to change and is quite hardwired. So we need to support people's discovery skills rather than prioritizing delivery skills. 
project planning implementation skills, because many of these plans and projects are going to be highly uncertain anyway in these contexts. And also build the networks, relationships and skills that people need to do this kind of discovery as well as they can. I think that is really great to take away that these are skills that you can train and by really prioritizing those discovery skills and making time for discovery rather than execution and delivery, that is something where, where we can all bring innovation into our organizations and our projects. You and I will definitely be trying to do this more and with our team. It's about innovation, not just being about the new, right? It's also about getting rid of the old and the outdated. That, and and um, I think that's a bit that's often forgotten or, or underexplored. And, and the report talks quite a bit about that as well. You may still talk about one more strategic pointer. <laughs> what is it? And which one? Yeah, which one's your favorite? Yeah, so my personal favorite part of the report, which really stretched my own thinking in new ways, was pointer five. Rethinking adaptable strategies to embrace emergent change within a long-term view. So going back to that informal chief executive poll, of the five strategic pointers, this was the one that they indicated was already happening, almost important for organizations. But it's also the most profound part of the report, not just rethinking the role and nature of both planning and strategy and what that should look like, but also rethinking the nature of risk and time and legacy. So it covers things like rethink risk and crisis as continuous uncertainty, rethink planning as dynamic proactive scanning, rethink strategy as dynamic dialogue and learning from experience, and also rethink time and short-termism as extending legacy within the long now. And again, there's a lot of interesting practice shared, and I don't particularly like singling out organizations, but I personally was really interested in learning more about Greenpeace International's 10-year strategic framework, which is centered explicitly around systems change. And it's already been working within and learning in this framework for a number of years now. Some of my favorite resources were here too, like the Long Time Project and Climate Kicks Long Time Tools, tools to cultivate long-termism in institutions. And the School of International Futures and Kaluska Gulbenkian Foundation's Framework for Intergenerational Fairness. I think these are interesting, practical approaches to perhaps dense things, dense theoretical concepts. So those particularly stand out. And the Framework for Intergenerational Fairness, we shared this at a recent leadership event, and I've also co-written a blog on that uh, and why I think it's so important for CSOs. And we can include that in the show notes. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, and there's also finally just a bit at the end, which I just had to include from the Collective Psychology Project about collective loss and grieving and the importance of holding on to myth during crisis. And also reflecting on the intergenerational effects of trauma, which, which kind of transmit into the future. And I think this relates to the importance of narrative and how that links to futures work, which I think we'll also see become increasingly important in a climate crisis event-riven world. Okay, so these were three of the five strategic pointers. And while we don't really have time to talk about the other two, we still want to know what they are and what they cover. I'm literally just going to name them. I think that's what you're going to allow me to do. So, <laughs> so the second is on increasing diversity to build collective intelligence, to look around and look ahead. And this is really about who is involved in these conversations around the future and how expertise is redefined, I think. Great. And, and the other is on using scenarios cautiously across multiple timescales and with the whole organization. 
And I know I've kind of talked a lot already about the different pointers, but it is really rich. I do feel that we've barely scratched the surface. So I urge people just to go and dive in. And I honestly feel I can guarantee that there'll be something in there of interest to engage everyone, even if it's just one quote or one resource, you know, let alone some of the bigger ideas, there will be something for everyone. And it really does try to seed inspiration for both small strategic changes, as well as bringing in some of the big systems change stuff. Yeah, I can only agree with that, that it's incredibly rich. And you said earlier that we discussed this a little bit at our leadership convening earlier in July. And I can only recommend to find someone who also reads some of it. So you're able to actually discuss it yes. and digest it with someone or even maybe as a group of colleagues. I think that's a great exercise and really great, yeah. helps to expand your thinking. So that's the guide, but that's not the end of the story. So what are you hoping to work on next and how can people get involved? So I'm excited about the centre scoping out some new crossover work between the scanning community and our Solidarity Action Network on civic space. So kind of more your area of work, Miriam. Yeah. Including a joint event before the end of the year, which will pick up on some underexplored areas around civic space features and the enabling environment. I think this should be really interesting and start us on some good collaborations to take through to next year. I'm also keen to look at some more crossover work between climate change and civic space features and what that might mean for civil society organizations. It feels like these are two of the biggest existential challenges of our times. And yet this kind of intersectional analysis between those two doesn't really exist. And I think that's, that would be a really useful gap for us to help fill. And the scanning community itself will work on, just a working title, but climate just, biodiverse and human positive futures. With the COP26 coming up and the new global goals on biodiversity to 2050, which are being agreed next year, there'll be a lot of interesting stuff to get our teeth into and explore there. Kind of especially in the context of the links which have been made between biodiversity loss and the roots of COVID-19, for instance. So the next sector guide will be on that at some point in the future. Lots to look forward to. Definitely. I'm personally really looking forward to that crossover work, which we are getting on in the next month already. So stay tuned for that as well. Vicky, that takes us to the end. I look forward to the next time. Yeah, thanks, Miriam. It's been really nice to kind of have this challenge and also this opportunity with you to just take a step back and have this conversation about the work. So I've really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening. We'll include links to the resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes. Many thanks to our podcast producer, Julia Pazos, and we'll be back again soon with more episodes. Until next time.